Hello, and welcome to the Up Next podcast, where we highlight the people and ideas that represent the best of Christian leadership today. It is during challenging times that we realize how important leadership is. That is why Resource Global is dedicated to training and mentoring the next generation of Christian leaders in major global cities around the world, so they can be prepared to tackle the challenges that are to come. These young professionals will become the future business and civic leaders, church elders, entrepreneurs, and change makers in the communities. And we are so encouraged when we hear their dreams and plans for the future for their hometowns of LA, Austin, Chicago, Jakarta, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Nairobi, and beyond. We connect these young leaders to one another also, so they form a truly global team of growing marketplace leaders advancing the gospel. As part of the year-long cohort training, we bring some of the best thinkers and mentors to come alongside these leaders. And as a result, we are thrilled to share the wisdom of these teachers with you on the show, highlighting the real stories of what it looks like to lead with your faith. Our host is Tommy Lee, president of Resource Global, who will be joined by a myriad of guest hosts and co-hosts during this time. For more information on Resource Global and to listen to past episodes of Up Next, please go to www.researchglobal.org. Hello, listeners, leaders, pioneers, and change makers. I'm your host, Lauren Bronson Petrus. And wherever you are in the world right now, I am just so grateful that you have joined us. Our guest today is Dr. Michaela O'Donnell. She is the executive director of the Max Dupree Center for Leadership and is an assistant professor of marketplace leadership at Fuller Seminary. Now, Michaela regularly consults, speaks, and teaches on leadership and vocation, but with a specific and with a specific emphasis and passion for serving marketplace leaders as they balance their practical business needs while also living and leading in a response to God and his call on their life. She has just recently released a fantastic new book entitled Make Work Matter, Your Guide to Meaningful Work in a Changing World. Michaela, I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for that generous introduction. It's great to be with you, Lauren. Oh, 100%. I personally, I was telling you a little bit before we started recording, but I personally am so thrilled to speak with you today because um, you, and I, there's so many things that you cover in the book that just spoke directly to me. And I wish I had my book with me, actually. There's so many highlights and post-it notes uh, and bookmarks all throughout the book. So um, li- listeners, I'm really, really encouraging on this one. This is such a great book to pick up, um, specifically because as a marketplace leader myself and as an entrepreneur, you really touch on points that are both practical um, and speak to my business mind while also speaking to my spirit and giving me hope and inspiration. So bravo, bravo. Mm. Thanks for saying that. That means a lot. Uh, it's certainly written out of those same experiences for myself. So I'm glad that comes through. Yes, absolutely. So would you mind starting us off with just telling our listeners a little bit about how you believe God called you to this unique career path that you're in and also sharing us with us uh, what the motivation was for you writing the book? Yeah, great questions. Lauren, if you would have, if you and I were sitting down 10 years ago and you would have told me, hey, Michaela, you're going to spend your career talking to people about their work. I would have been like, nah, like, <laughs> I don't think so. That is like, I'm not, I don't think so. So uh, it's been through a series of just kind of like step-by-step stuff Uh, as I think as I've come to believe is often the case with how God calls us toward things. It's not always all at once or we don't always get the whole big picture, but step-by-step. So the, the brief story is that I was doing a master's degree with 
my husband, I met my husband at Fuller Seminary in 2010, 2011, and we graduated in the middle of a recession, literally zero jobs for people with theology degrees. It was like flat on our face. And yet we were in LA, which is a very expensive city and we had to make money and pay, you know, rent and then student loans and things like that. So we ended up starting a business that's just kind of in my DNA, family stuff. Like both my parents own their own business, have for many, many years. We did that. Companies called Long Winter Media, branding, creative agency, videos, that lane. Really, really fell in love with that work. Yeah. I fell in love with being an entrepreneur. Fell in love with, you know, I, I what I like to say is I feel like entrepreneurs, you know, notice gaps and fill them, right? That's like what we do. Yep. Yeah, we just we're like, okay, there is a gap. I can maybe I maybe I could fill that or eh, I see a gap, but not my, not mine to fill. Totally. So I love doing that. I love doing that. And then at the same time, I was sitting with a bunch of friends, you know, regularly in all kinds of scenarios, hearing how hard it was to kind of make sense of work. And I was like, well, what does this mean? Why is work so hard? And why are we all having to figure out our own way? Went back to school. Did some research, eventually led me to the Dupree Center for Leadership, where I'm the executive director now, and this book. And this book is not just a result of that research, you know, put on paper, but over the last couple of years, my team and I have actually tested what's in the book and developed processes. We've had like 250 people go through a small group experience. Wow. And so, yeah. And so all of that, it's just, again, it's little by little is how I got to this. Um, And you asked motivation. In some ways, I'm writing to myself 15 years ago. I'm like, you know, you can do this. Girl, girl you got this. It's not, yeah, as, bad as, it's not yeah. as bad as you think it is. In other ways, I, I feel like I'm writing to all those people who come to the groups I just named and mm. everyone at the Dupree Center who's like, you know, I'm constantly in transition, total flux. How do I make sense of it all? Trying to find God, trying to do good work. What do I do? So yeah. this book is in response to that. Oh, that's so right on. And what I thought was interesting about this is, you know, you have a lot of Christian leaders writing things for business leaders and or you have a lot of books about like, hey, here's how to walk in your faith or maybe here's how to balance it. But you identified a gap in it of itself in this book by saying, like, wait, how does someone who's trying to balance Jesus and our faith and our family and our work and our passions and our dreams and then put them together? Yeah, for sure. And throwing on top of it, you know, I'm a mom, I've got two kids, right? So it's like, that's a whole full-time job as well. So the overlapping demands, yeah, I I feel like the books I need speak to those overlapping demands Mm -hmm. of my life and myself. So yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, talk to some people from a different space, but it's right from that overlap of who I am that this book is birthed out of. Oh, it's so right on. And one of the questions, um, one of the things that you mentioned relatively early on in the book that I love and I never heard before, um, you said you mentioned a holy wrestling. You say, quote, we don't make our way to the meaningful work we crave without a bit of holy wrestling. Tell us, I love this saying. I think it's so it's hits feelings and seasons in our lives. Describe what you mean when you describe a holy wrestling. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Uh, you know, as it turns out, we have a lot of feelings about our work, right? Like it's just, it's, we're feeling beings. Like we, we don't do work up in our heads. We like feel big things. And, you know, it, you can look at the data from any given year over the last decade. And it's like, what percentage of people don't like their jobs? It's like a lot. So it turns out, yeah. And, and right now in this moment, what percentage of people are thinking about making their career move? It's, it's a lot. And, yeah. So we've got a lot of feelings about our work and the term holy wrestling, 
I was trying to like put, put some verbiage to what that feels like. And I wish that I could say that I had one holy wrestling moment one time and then all this clarity about who I was professionally and what God wanted me to do came about, but it's not like that. It's like there's seasons and, mm -hmm. and sometimes the wrestling is like this little restlessness that comes up in us and we're kind of fidgety. Other times we are just in it mm -hmm. really, really in mm -hmm. it. And so I decided to give that a, a name. And, and as I have, it's like, okay, what does holy wrestling feels like? Well, it feels like a lot of work like wrestling does. It feels yeah. like you're kind of maybe, you know, you know, tossed and turned about as, you know, the rest the wrestling metaphor would invite us to believe. And also like, you're going to, you're going to gain muscles in that. Like you're going to naturally be strengthened, even if it feels very difficult in the time. And so much of my work has been about helping people harness that learning, that meaning mm -hmm. like making, because the wrestling's coming, it's right. coming no matter what. And so it's like, how can we learn from that? How can we be formed for that? And and take that with us into seasons that keep on going. I loved how you framed though, what we, I think even as believers, we can often, often take wrestling as something negative. So like, because I don't know an answer, I must be failing or because God hasn't revealed X, Y, Z to me yet. It means that, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to trust in him or like that he isn't for me in this moment or something, but you really putting holy wrestling made it a sacred fight. You made it this like, it's okay to be in this place. And I love that. I've never honestly heard that in that way before. Yeah. I, I, Lauren, I think what you're hitting on here is really good. And it comes back to the fact, it comes back honestly to our very relationship with work mm -hmm. as a culture. We have a increasingly complicated relationship with work. We expect a lot from it. We expect it to be the place where we for sure make money and can cover the, you know, core things of life. But increasingly, we expect it to be a place where we make sense of ourselves, where we get to, you know, live out our purpose, our specialness, our passion. And so two things. One, when we don't feel like that, those expectations are being met, that's hard. Yeah. Like here comes wrestling. Mm -hmm. And number two, it turns out that's a lot of pressure to put on work. You know, yeah. work isn't isn't meant to be all of that. I, I do, I believe. Work is good. It comes before the fall in Genesis. I believe in the holiness of work. And at the same time, we got a lot of ways to make sense of ourselves, right? We got a lot of things we do and people we spend time with and communities that we're part of. So when work is that sort of singular thing, even if we say it isn't, it, it kind of, it is for well, a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, so of course we're going to have wrestling. And so in sort of, instead of putting that as a shameful thing, it's like, yeah, it, and, and I actually think part of that holy wrestling is detangling from some of that mm -hmm. soul, you know, S-O-L-E, soul sense-making mm -hmm. with work. And so that's yeah. another reason why I like to encourage it. I'm like, oh, you're wrestling. Okay, we're getting we're getting into it. We're detangling the, the messages about work and success that aren't quite, if you will, working. Yes, no, that's such a great point. I actually love the word detangling because you you talk a lot about in the book as well about how work has become our identity and, and society tells us we must worship our work, we must worship. Yeah. Um, so that so then it becomes about how, well, if my whole identity and what I'm having, what society is telling me I need to worship is work. It is a dismantling. It is a detangling of saying like, no, that isn't your God. That isn't what's holy. That's not what you should be worshiping. So it's an untethering of literally something that is kind of leached onto us in society. Yeah. And I think Lauren, I don't even know if 
how much of that is conscious, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that I would walk around and say, I'm for sure making sense of my identity and my work. And therefore when disappointments come up, yeah. I don't really know who I am. Like that, that sentence right there has probably come after, after literally years and years of my own journey, listening to mm-hmm. hundreds of other people writing this book. And so, yeah, there's a lot of untangling sometimes that we don't even know we need to do. And so the question is, are our definitions of work, our theologies of work, our theology of calling, which are two different things, mm-hmm. are they causing more good than harm in our communities, mm-hmm. our workplaces, in our own selves? Do they need, is there a bunch of friction there? And that yeah. might be a sign that we might want to do some, you know, engage in some of that wrestling, that detangling. Mm-hmm. No, that's so good. Um, I want to switch gears to one of the major themes of the book. You say, quote, the primary characteristic of this new world of work is change. And when we experience Mm -hmm. change, we experience loss. So profound. This is so good. You go on to discuss three different symptoms that you believe are occurring because of this constant state of change. You list overwhelm as a symptom, anxiety as a symptom, and loneliness as a symptom. Would you kind of just break this down? There's so much good, rich uh, instruction and just knowledge in those sections. But would you just kind of at a high level, break that down for our listeners? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it is. We are living, I think, in an age of overwhelm. And this is, you know, the world is speeding up, right? It's speeding up. And we are, as individuals and communities, in the midst of a speeding up world. And so mm-hmm. that is overwhelming. And one of the reasons it's so overwhelming is because speeding up in the accelerating of the world is marked by a lot of change, Mm -hmm. change in what we do, change in how we do it. Right. A change in honestly, even what we deem as necessary, super simple example. I was coming home from a flight a few weeks ago and I, I grabbed a lift home and the lift driver, I was like kind of talking to him about the route home. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is my first lift ride in two years. I was like, oh, wow, you took a like, wow, COVID break, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, actually, I've just been doing Instacart for two years. And he's like, I kind of liked it. And then he's like, now people don't do Instacart as much and more people want to do Lyft. And I I felt like his story was emblematic of the fact that as a as a society, what we decide is necessary and what we demand is necessary is a dynamic thing. Mm. So there's change at every level, the what we work on, the how we work what actual work we deem is necessary. And so when when that feeling of overwhelm comes, I, I would also say, actually, I did a webinar a few days ago and I had people drop in the chat how they were feeling. Hmm. And it was really interesting, Lauren, to watch yeah. them one by one come in. And it what was, think, yeah, it was like overwhelm, anxious, hopeful. Wow. Depressed, curious, alone, hmm. you know, excited, upset, it was just this whole mix. And yes. so we're, again, we've got lots of feelings mm-hmm. and a lot of those come on the uh, quote negative side, but then there's this mix of, yeah, I feel overwhelmed, but also kind of curious. I yeah. feel lonely, but also kind of hopeful or excited. And mm-hmm. that ambivalence, that's a whole nother layer of overwhelm because right. now we got to sort through to use the word we already use overlapping feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I I actually, all three of them, they were hitting such poignant points. But when you talked about the symptom of anxiety, you know, this is a word that it's, you know, heard everywhere right now. It's something that society is dealing with and grappling with in so many different ways and heavy ways. And one of the ways that you succinctly said in this sentence that I thought was so, was so profound 
You said, in a world that demands so much from individuals, the message is, is that we are to be the heroes of our own story. And, it, and then you go on to say that if essentially if we're supposed to be the heroes of our story and we fail, there's no one else to blame. So how could we then not, if that's the truth, then of course, then we're anxious. Like how true, if my story and everything that happens is up to me, I'm going to live in that state of anxiety because God and trusting and faith and surrender isn't part of my equation. Yeah. And even more complicated, just on a really practical measure, it, the way we work. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, you're an entrepreneur, I'm entrepreneurial, I still have my business, even though I'm doing this thing. We do exist. That was this perfect. thing. I just came up with an awesome book, but I'm just like doing this thing, you know, <laughs> doing this thing. Uh, so we exist in a world in which individuals are traversing their career paths more than is historically true. So there is a actual truth to the fact that it is up to us more than it used to be. You think about how people get jobs and submit resumes and even the fact that people don't usually stay at one company. They change jobs 11 to 17 times. And so some of that sense of we're on our own, it's up to us mm. is not untrue. Mm. And so it's like, well, what do we do with that? Because I wish it were as simple as to be like, okay, I'm kind of being self-focused. I need to return to community and God. Yeah. And certainly there, that might be true sometimes. But the other part of this is that literally individuals bear burdens that corporations and institutions used mm -hmm. to. And so that's a whole new set of pressures that are coming on individuals. And I think part of the task forward is figuring out how to share that burden, right? I mean- mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I have a lot of great answers to this at this point, but you think about, okay, if we have access to more people and we have access to their brains and their smarts and we're learning things we, you know, maybe wouldn't have learned if we were a person living 20 years ago, yeah. but how, how might we lean on that person for learning in a way and then come back and learn on us, lean on us for our own learning. And so I, I think there's going to be so organic systems that mm -hmm. start to, you know, networks and systems that start to materialize because the fact that we're feeling alone is not just in our heads. In our career worlds, the burden for the way forward mostly exists on our shoulders. No, that's a solid point. I mean, and it's a reality that, you know, it's kind of, it's unheard of in history. You yeah. go a lot of in the book about going through um, everything from the Protestant Reformation into like medieval or medieval era into Protestant Reformation and so forth. And you speak about how really we went from, um, just our society overall into a way that we as humans don't know we've never done before. So that's, yeah, a, yeah that's a really solid point. Um, you talk a little, we, since we're talking about entrepreneurship, you talk throughout the book, you name the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial way. Will you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. First of all, entrepreneurial is the hardest word I think to say. It's even harder to spell. I can't even spell it. I just, like, can we just... on my sheet of paper and I said it wrong. So I mean, yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you for doing that so that I can feel normal. Um, yeah. So the entrepreneurial way. So at the, I'm an entrepreneur and I, so a little story. So a couple of years ago, when I came to work at the Dupree Center, this was three and a half years ago, I came on a grant and the point of the grant was to try and turn the research I did in my dissertation into resources for real people. Mm. And I was like, okay, awesome. We're going to teach everyone to be entrepreneurs. We're going to teach them to be entrepreneurial. And so I gathered this first group of beta people. It was all women. They were all entrepreneurial. They were all sort of entrepreneurial, even if they were early or in different phases of that. 
And Lauren, very quickly, I realized nobody was coming because they wanted to be entrepreneurial. That's not what they weren't there. They were coming because they wanted to take a break and they wanted to talk to each other and they wanted some no. space. Yeah, yeah, they just wanted space. Right. So then I had a choice. Okay. Do I keep building around this idea I have that nobody has come for? Or do or yeah, it sounds horrible. Right. Or do I do I kind of adjust this? And so mm -hmm. I ended up adjusting and we built around that. And part of what that process taught me is that entrepreneur is a weird word for a lot of people. It's an opt-in, opt-out word. Either yep. I, I am creative or I'm not. I am a leader or I'm not. I am an entrepreneur or I'm not. But at the core of what it means to be an entrepreneur is the capacity to notice opportunity, mm -hmm. add value, and do that in the face of risk. Wow. And I'm like, we Say that again. notice opportunity. Yep. Notice, notice opportunity, add, create value, add or create value, mm -hmm. right? So you're adding value in light of that opportunity. Yeah. And you're doing that in the face of some sort of risk, whether it's financial or you're wow. stepping out on things or, you know, whatever it is, there's some risk involved. Mm -hmm. So that's actually pretty basic and pretty human, mm -hmm. right? We can, and it comes down to like empathy and mm -hmm. imagination and risk. And I'm like, what, a, in a world where so, there's so many needs and so much yeah. is going on, what I would love to see more people feel like they had the capacities to notice opportunity, add value in the face of risk. So yeah. that's why I'm like the entrepreneurial way is something for everybody, mm -hmm. not just for those of us who are going to start formal businesses, though I love that too. It's really a way of being and a way of working for anybody, regardless of your job. That's so good because you, if you put that hat on, you could say, well, if I'm working, you know, maybe at a company where their culture is not in alignment with what I want or their values and vision is different than me, but like, what can I do if I see opportunity? Can I add value with my ideas? And then the risk is, is like, well, I'm being countercultural working at yep. this business, but I can still be an entrepreneur. Is that kind of right what you're saying? Absolutely. That's yeah. absolutely it. And then I would just add on to your very good example that if in doing those experiments and trying to add value, you start to learn actually about your own way forward. Mm -hmm. You start to learn if the company is in fact open to such things. Yeah. Or if you're hitting wall after wall, maybe it's time to talk to people who know you well about making a change, right? So it's yeah. it actually becomes data for the vocational discernment we want to do, yeah. sort of pressing in to these entrepreneurial steps. Mm, so good. Um, one of the points I literally was reading the book and then I, you, you were talking about a story where you're at a kid's birthday party and you said something to someone that you had just met for the first time, you know, you're making conversation at the kid's birthday party and you just asked them, Hey, what do you do? And then you said in the book, I instantly regretted asking that question. And I put my book down because I was like, how often is this on a daily, I'm talking daily basis. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Like that marks an entire person's being. And you you talked about how uh, you made such an interesting point and about saying that this question can cause shame instead of an invitation for friendship. And I thought that was so good. You got just like devolved more, devolved more. Yeah. So I learned this the hard way, right? I, okay. I like to work. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly been in seasons of not working, but for they've been short. Right. And mm -hmm. I, most of my life I've worked and it's such a natural way to get to know one another. And it's, it's not like it's a question I made up or you made up. It's a question we all use. It's the, what do you do? It's the, and like you said, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do off? And many times it's, what's your name? What do you do? And right. it's, we skip the second. Yeah. And over time I realize 
that because of the holy wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. People are, and because we got a lot of feelings about our work, people are all over the place. Um, whether it's a season of not feeling good about your job, whether you feel like you're you're working, but that's not really what you care about. Whether mm-hmm. you're a parent who's taking care of kids, working your tail off, but not getting paid to do it. It's like, we don't know how to talk about those things we do. And mm-hmm. I think what we're really trying to get to know are, are this, you know, core stuff about somebody. And yeah. yet we ask in these categories of doing, and I've just seen it. I've just literally seen it and I felt it. And then there's nothing worse. That's like, Oh, cool. I just asked someone a shame inducing question. Mm. And now they're, they're backtracking and they're explaining to me how they took two years off from X, Y, or Z to go do this. And I'm like, Oh dude, like, yeah, you're good. You're so good. You're good. Like, yeah, yeah, my bad. Like, dude, here, here's a chip and some salsa. Maybe we should go that direction. (laughs) Exactly. Because Lauren, it's not just that I don't want to produce shame which mm-hmm. is true mm-hmm. I, I actually want to get to know these people right and actually so it's like you're getting to know someone for the first time and it's outside of a natural work context mm. i've learned to ask questions like so what are you into and mm, so yeah like so tell me a bit about who you are literally mm-hmm. I, I ask that question now and i get right. all kinds of interesting things yeah and people and you know what people start doing lauren they start talking about the overlap when i ask questions mm-hmm. like that there you go and so then it's like i've asked questions that aren't boxing people in and they eventually talk to me about what they do for work, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's long-term or temporary or so on and so forth. I I just feel like we're, we're getting into that place. I actually want to go, which is the overlap of who we are, how, how that's expressed in these multi-dimension realities and the way we Mm -hmm. live our lives. So yeah, I've tried to back down from that question. I'm not perfect. I sometimes still ask it, but more often than not, I, I go with a different question now. No, that's so good. And I hope our listeners, because I certainly did, like you write this down and, and it's a great challenge that you're handing out to us instead of going straight to, you know, what do you do saying, what are you into? Or like, tell me a bit about yourself. Those are such great ways at getting to understand or what you had called an invitation for friendship, getting to know someone without having to basically, by asking that question, we're basically insinuating that that's one of the most important things about you. So if you don't have some great answer, if you don't have what society looks at as this, you know, amazing, big, successful job, um, then you feel, you don't feel good about yourself. Then you're backtracking. Right. And then that happens to me all the time. I mean, I'm at a place in my life, um, you know, as a, as a daughter, as a friend, as a wife, uh, where people are leaving their jobs so that they can be a stay at home mom. And then they feel mm-hmm. bad when someone asks that question, cause then they feel like they're looked at differently, or I'm consulting with leaders who are needing to take a longer sabbatical and stepping away from ministry work. And then there's that shame that comes right on the back burner of it. So I love, love, love that simple tweak of saying, Hey, tell me about yourself or Hey, uh, what are you into? I love that. That's really great. Um, Oh, you talk um, bouncing on what we're just discussing. You talk about grieving unmet expectations that I think is very sobering. And I think it's something not even just in this COVID, you know, uh, like in this world where we're all grappling with what happened with COVID figuring out where we're at mentally, socially, emotionally, um, but just as humans, how can we, see, and we see have social media all the time, look at these lives of these people, look at all these accolades that they're achieving. And then our expectations, I feel like are constantly being just, just hurt, being damaged. So tell us about what you mean when you say grieving unmet expectations. Yeah, for sure. Lauren, are you into the Enneagram at all? I'm obsessed with the Enneagram. What's your number? I want you to kind of guess. 
in the I just met you. I don't know. Three minutes. I want I wanted it. Okay, I'm an eight. I'm an eight wing seven. Oh, okay. I'm a seven wing eight. No wonder we're we're like already fast. I was friends. gonna say we're inverted. I was like, I knew it when I, I was like, it's happening. You but knew I, it. You knew it. Yeah. The three. Were okay. you, I think you said three. You lifted up the number three. Three is my I second did. highest. Is that your second? Okay. I don't know what my second highest is. I'm just very clearly a seven wing eight. It's yeah. just I get mistaken for a three a lot because I, I do get a lot done. Yeah. Um, okay. So that is that is important because at the core of who sevens are, we don't like pain. Mm -hmm. We just, we don't like it. It's our biggest fear. Right. So for me to say that we have to grieve means that we got to deal with all the stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, that's like, it's just, that's how important I, I've realized it is. Wow. And why, why is that? Again, um, I think we're walking around with a lot of dysfunctional beliefs about how work is supposed to be mm. or a lot of dysfunctional beliefs about what calling is. Yeah. And then it just, when it doesn't work out, or, or like you said, when we think things are working out for somebody else in a way that we would like them to work out for ourselves, even though here's the, the parenthetical here that we only have slivers, we only have access to slivers of other people's lives in right. social media and online and even our friends, right? We don't, we don't yeah. have access to everyone's feelings. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of that, Experts would say that the number one skill people need in a changing world of work is resilience. Resilience mm -hmm. is the ability to, you know, bounce back after failure and mm -hmm. after things aren't going well or to deal with change and setback. So for all that, all those things, we've got dysfunctional beliefs. And so our expectations don't line up with reality. Yeah. And it's just the way the world is. There's tons of change and therefore there's going to be lots of loss. Mm -hmm. We, we have to get good at grief. Mm. And I think we, I don't want to say we have to get quicker at grief because I don't want to minimize it, but I think we need to become quicker at going to grief and recognizing when it's a moment to grieve. And, you know, we got to let, let some of that off because otherwise we're just housing it in ourselves, not making yeah. sense of it. We don't have containers for it. And so, yeah, I, I think grief is actually a huge part of the changing world of work. What I will say though, is that this is very Christianity 101, that we have a faith that is predicated on death right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's not like we yeah. stay in death and loss and grief and failure mm -hmm. and setback and heartbreak right. forever. But that what comes on Sunday, that new life, that big R resurrection, I like mm -hmm. to talk about small R resurrections. Yep. It means as much as it does because we've actually dealt with what came before it. Mm, that's so good. And I mean, that theme throughout your book and even what you're saying. So like, Stay in, allow yourself to stay and process the grief and the, and the loss of that uh, unmet expectations. Like allow yeah. yourself, even going back to what we first started talking about, the holy wrestling. There's something sacred in staying in a place where there's struggle in order to process and reflect and ultimately be redeemed through it. And so what you're saying is something, though, that we have to get used to in order to stay as healthy as possible, mature as possible through this changing world is resilience. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your phrase, stay in, because I think that I, I've become convinced that so much of the meaningful work we crave doing, I'll call that our external work for a second, yeah. anything paid or unpaid, yeah. is connected to the internal work that we're willing to do as people. Mm -hmm. So we do, we have to stay in and do yeah. that work. Oh, 
Oh my gosh, Michaela, I could, I, I could ask 45 other questions to you. This was such an incredible book. Um, before I sign off and have um, you share it with us where people can buy your book, is there anything that you really want uh, listeners to take away or if there's a sentence or two that you had on your heart um, to just share with our listeners? Yeah, I think what I would say is this. If you are in the quest of figuring out like how to make work matter more, remembering that work already matters to God is an important starting point because the quest to make work matter more is often the quest to make work matter more to ourselves, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing, but recognizing that we already matter to God. The work we do already matters. And because of that, like, there's all kinds of liberation and freedom in how we think about work and vocation, vocation when that's the truth. Mm, well said, my friend. Well said. Tell our listeners where they can buy your book and where they can stay connected to you. Yeah, for sure. So I uh, at the Dupree Center for Leadership, that's just you can either Google that at Fuller Seminary or just Dupree.org, D-E-P-R-E-E.org. I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the places. Michaela O'Donnell, you can find me there. Amazing. Amazing. Michaela, thank you so much for your time. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Lauren Bronson Petrus, and we'll see you next time.